So, I sometimes on this show I like to read out the occasional comment I get. Um, mm-hmm. A bit of feedback. Uh, some opinions. Yeah, you love you love reading glo- glowing praise if you're working on this show. It's one of your favorite things. Absolutely, and of course, pointed, salient critique of my work. But this one, oh, I think this one gets points for possibly the most passive aggressive comment I have ever received. That's a bold statement. It's living in yeah. my head rent free. Um, and I'll admit, part of it is because I responded with the uh, crying laughing emoji 11 hours ago and they've not taken the bait. So it's hanging in the air for me because I, I really want to see where they're going with it. Um, so, <laughs> oh, so this comment I got on Facebook, it's in response to this week's Jimquisition on Baldur's Gate 3 that was too hot for YouTube until it admitted it made a quote-unquote mistake, which, let's face it, isn't a mistake. It's part of a pattern of behaviour. But anyway, uh, in response to my video where I talk about Baldur's Gate 3 and uh, what people are saying about it being the new industry standard, uh, I got this comment. Mm. IMO, it's the new Breath of the Wild. So you already know it's going somewhere. Too much overhype, standard-bearing, and association with it induces accusations of guilt and complicity with the actions of companies that aren't everyone's cup of tea by people who use tips given with the understanding of being used to destroy AAA companies instead being spent on pinball tables and boglins. Wow. Um, Uh That got gradually more and more very, very specific. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, like yeah. it starts like someone like slagging off Baldur's Gate three, comparing uh-huh. it to Breath of the Wild in in with negative connotations, before it just switches gears to to a very pointed and very passive aggressive attack on me. And what I love about it is is it is so revealing when it comes to them, because as I've said repeatedly in my work. My job isn't to make you feel guilty for buying and playing games. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in calling out horrible behaviour, bad business practices, abuse. But there are people that watch my work, feel guilty about it, and instead of reflecting on that, they get angry at me. And well, yeah, yes. you're the one who showed them that they yeah. were wrong. Yeah, so. it's a very classic messenger shooting. Yeah, if you didn't tell me about the fact that, like, sometimes uh, trying to achieve like lofty things that are not necessarily achievable for everyone might lead to bad treatment of workers, if you hadn't told me that was possible, I wouldn't have to think about it being possible, and it would still be happening. But I wouldn't feel bad yeah. about the fact it's happening. I, I get that a lot, actually. I. I... Over the years, I've seen it so many times. People accusing me of trying to make them feel guilty, which means they feel guilty. Right. And they don't want to change their behaviour. So, yeah, they blame me and say I'm making them feel bad rather than admit that their behaviour is making them feel bad because they're being confronted with the results, which, again, I'm not interested in. I don't fucking care 
if you play Call of Duty, if you play Diablo. I don't fucking care. My problem is with Bobby Kotick and the shareholders and the executives and the press. Like, that's where that's where I sort of place some real culpability is on a media that refuses to call them out or sweeps things under the rug for them. Well, um, we've made it culturally such a, um, a weird thing. I, I kind of compare it to recycling in a weird way. Yeah. Like... We are for in some reason for some reason because we're saying you know climate change is real and coming and going to hurt us all. Uh, what we're saying is you individually who are not recycling, you're to blame. And no, we're not. We're we're blaming the people who are actually making the decisions that are doing terrible, horrible, fucking shit. You as an individual can't yeah. do really anything about yeah. it. Um, you know, it, it's not you. Stop thinking it's you. Yeah. And and all to protect their sense of comfort and righteousness in what they do. Yeah. Because if you feel guilty about it, like, I would ask, I, I don't want you to feel guilty. I would ask that if you do feel guilty, examine that and and, yeah. and see if maybe you feel bad about doing something and maybe that's a behavior you can alter. Rather then blame me so that you can feel comfortable continuing to do what it is you apparently feel is bad behaviour. Now, the bit about pinball tables and bogglings. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that's a, a thing. Uh, my income is, is publicly known and comes from the public. Um, now, I've made it very clear from the outset that that is my income. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, a lot of it stays in the business. I pay people to do things. Um, Laura, Conrad, um, uh, we've had Z-Manzilla uh, guest editing uh, several uh, episodes of the show. Um, yeah, that's all paid for. Um, but it is my income. Like, that's my rent. That's my um food that's like looking after my family uh, all of that stuff um and if i want to buy boglins as part of my income as i've made very clear i can do that however yeah, what about all of these assholes wasting their money on video games right right at least you have a business purpose for them that is true that is true. Yeah, you, you point business. to them in a video sometimes and go, look at this shit I bought. That's work. <laughs> but I think what one of the things that gets me with it is there is a sense of entitlement to it because it's publicly known. And while I understand the knee-jerk attitude to it, oh, you're getting these money from people, the money should only be spent on the thing. Well, but it is being spent on the thing because it's keeping you alive and sustained so that you can continue to produce the thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I give myself an amount of money that is for me, and then the rest of it is business money. And in exchange, you give yourself to them. Absolutely. I. It's a very simple transaction. It's, it's patronage in its purest form. People believe in my work. They sponsor me as the creator of it, and I keep making the work. It's that simple. Um, I will point out, though, 
Because whenever I make a big purchase like that pinball table, people get kind of offended and, and specifically mm-hmm. angry about that. But I do need to point out that that pinball table was not spent with the Patreon money. Right. Yeah. And and I have kind of had enough of, of people thinking they're entitled to the money I'm making on my private fucking work. I'm making no veiled reference with that. But, yeah, that's my freelance writing money. Yeah. It, it will always be a thing when when income is, is public. Like, I do work that isn't the stuff I do on Patreon. Like, I do... I've done, like, mock review work for publishers. I do books and things. Like, I have other forms of work. Anytime I buy anything, if anyone's ever shitty, it's always the, oh, should you really be spending Patreon money on that? It's like, eh, Patreon is what keeps me alive. I do other work that sometimes is like, I have money for me now. Woo! Yeah, like, I know how hard you work. You're doing, like, loads of different things. Um, I am literally about to spend two weeks traveling to two different things back to back with maybe twelve hours in between before I get on flights. It's it's I do a lot of shit. Absolutely, but um, oh, de- how <laughs> d- dare it if I buy myself a Gundam model to build? Oh, right. Like <laughs> I, when it comes to the work, I absolutely feel I have a responsibility to the audience supporting that directly, um, not to agree with them, uh, and not to. Um, sort of indulge anyone's desire to be an armchair auditor, but to produce work that is of the quality and the style that they've come to expect. But it really, it specifically pisses me off when it when the pinball table's brought up because it cost, and, and I'm not, not joking here, it cost the exact amount that a big freelance gig paid me. And as someone who is, you know, I've talked in my writing and and stuff about like the financial uh, abuse that I had in a a past um, living situation and the debt that that left me with. I had this money that I worked very hard for and very specifically didn't want it to go on debt like everything else, like my grandparents' money did or anything else I earned freelance or the 10 years of savings. Like, I'd lost everything and I had this money and I saw that pinball table and decided to essentially turn that money into that so that I had this thing that, by the way, appreciates. Um, But that's my thing that no one can take away. And that is for me. And I can look at it as as this immutable evidence that I did some work I'm incredibly proud of. And I can't say that about all of the money that was spunked up a wall through no fault of my own. So, yeah, I get specifically annoyed when people try and get to me with the pinball table. With the, oh, I see you putting that Patreon money to good use. Oh, you should be spending it on the show, not on pinball tables. I'm like, no, that was my very personal money that I earned doing a very like big job. Um, and I'm very proud of my pinball table as a result. Um, now one last point, how am I going to destroy AAA companies? Yeah. I wish any of us on this show had the power to destroy AAA companies. Oh my God. Apparently give me tips 
tips it's called, with the understanding of being used to destroy AAA companies. How much money do they think it costs to topple an industry? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it can't be that pricey, can it? I do my fucking internet show. An internet show that 10 years ago I admit was a losing battle. It's been a decade of kicking and screaming as the ship goes down. But if you put more money into the internet show, maybe it would destroy the AAA companies. Maybe you're just not spending enough for the AAAs to die yet. I'm just not videoing hard enough. Exactly. I'm glad you understand. Now, I'm sure this will give, like, that, like, if they listen to this, I'm sure, like, they'll get, like, an attention bonk on from this. And I'm fine with that. Like, people are always like, oh, don't feed them, they want the attention. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't have a dog in that race. If that is what gets them off, that's what gets them off. But I've gotten, like, ten minutes out of this, which is a good enough start to the podcast. Yeah, I've got my content out of it. Um, well, that's what the tips are given. The understanding that I will destroy <laughs> a random comment from nobody. Well, this is the bit where I mentioned that this is Podquisition and ostensibly we're here to talk about video games, in theory. Uh, mm. Yeah, who's, who's got video games I want to talk about this week? Uh, either of you played any of them? Uh, I mean, we played the same game, and it's yeah, like we played, the biggest, we played the same game. The biggest I, game released recently. You've played more than me, uh-huh. uh, because I wasn't going to play it until I got back from my like two weeks of work travel, uh-huh. and then literally everyone whose opinion I respect is like, yeah, maybe maybe play it. And also mm. I saw that you were playing it on Steam Deck and it worked well on Steam Deck, and I was like, yeah, I could play it while travelling, maybe. It works really well on Steam Deck. Let's talk about Baldur's Gate 3. Right. It, I mean, it's fantastic. Like, I very rarely am one of those, ooh, believe the hype people, because I remember the marketing for Titanfall, the first one. I remember that. I remember, like... Like, that's my my biggest cautionary tale when it comes to hype. But this game that I went into, not really hyped at all, because, as I said in my Jimquisition, I don't really play Larian games. Not because they're not high quality. They are fucking amazing games. Larian's, like, attention to detail and the scope of what they do is impressive as hell. But... They are so complicated and and fiddly and and I can't. I've tried playing Divinity Two, like Divinity Two, several times, and I'm loving everything I see, but then I get a nosebleed just trying to like <laughs> get a handle on it. Baldur's Gate Three, I benefit tremendously from the fact that I'm familiar with D and D Fifth Edition. Yeah. Because I played quite a bit of 3.5 in the day, and when I was super into D&D, 5th uh, edition had just come out. Like, it, it had not long... Uh, so basically, I was into D&D when it came out, and really liked it. Like, I really like 5th ed. It's very yeah. playable. And they made the bards good, because obviously I play a bard. Oh, yeah. No. The, the transfer merge to play a bard, you know, there's like a 50-50 shot. They're also a tiefling. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. Um, although Eldritch Knight is a really good um, specialization for the fighter in um, mm. Fifth Ed, um, but they did all the classes really well, and the playability of it—it's—it's—it's it's, 
not as video gamey as I heard 4 was, but it's not as fiddly and slow as 3.5 was. It's it's just snappy. By D&D standards, it's snappy. Yeah. So I enjoyed it greatly. Um, subsequently, Baldur's Gate 3 has made me want to start playing D&D again. I've got the books still somewhere. If you want to play D&D again, uh, I, I, I can get you in on that. I do, I do weekly 5th edition. Ooh, I, I, I'm tempted. I, I miss it. Uh, and Baldur's Gate 3 has really sort of reminded me how much I missed 5th Ed. So I don't know how I'd have done if I hadn't played 5th Ed. I may have had the same reaction I have to other Larian games. But with that familiarity... Having played a lot of it back in the day, um, I was able to get into it. And I, holy hell, to to make a game feel that much like you're playing a, a video game version of the tabletop game. Not just a video game based on it, but a hmm. full audiovisual production of a fifth ed campaign with <clears throat> minimal, there are some concessions but they're minimal we're talking every spell race class ability skill it's all here and it's all fucking faithful i will say and this is something just to set people's expectations if you're someone that's regularly playing fifth edition and jumps over to Baldur's gate three when when we say all of the like you know the uh the classes all of the the races etc we're talking core rulebook for fifth edition don't go in expecting to see a lot of your expanded stuff that's been added. You know, don't expect being able to play a Tabaxi or an Aracocra or, oh, yeah, you know, anything yeah. out of Xanathar's Guide or anything. It's it's very specifically, is it in the core rulebook and the initial set of, like, content presented? Yeah, that is all there and very yeah. faithfully reproduced. There might reproduced. be some nods to the latest stuff. I don't know. I don't yeah. remember the Gith Yankee. I don't remember them. There's definitely stuff that doesn't appear in the core rulebook, but in terms of what you can play, right, like right. the playable classes and the spells you have access to are generally locked to like core rulebook right. stuff. There are exceptions, but they're exceptions, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Even then, that is still impressive as hell, you know? Like, yeah. The yeah, entire very much. Core, core rulebook, which again, there are some changes. Uh, the video game nature of it, has made things it's changed the usability in some way of certain things there's a way i've always built a bard that i i haven't built here so much because certain skills and stuff just don't work quite the same Mm. for example i would usually go college of valor with a bard because using the bardic inspiration to increase attacks as well is good but part of it is also just the usability of other stuff. Like, there's so much more equipment given that gives you lots of spells and abilities and stuff. So I've just not really relied on Bardic Inspiration too much. So yeah. I just I went College of Law this time. Um, that's a basic example. There are other ones of just certain spells and abilities that just feel a bit de-emphasized just because of the general mechanics of a video game. But in terms of faithfulness, wow. The the other thing I would note, and like, it, this is entirely whether whether this is something you need to know will depend on sort of where you came into fifth edition. Like, if you came from say third edition, fourth edition, this isn't going to be a surprise. But I know a lot of people who got into D and D 
let's say like four years ago when the Adventure Zone was very popular and we were getting a lot of like podcast D&D starting to pop up. And like there's a couple of things that a lot of uh, podcast era DMs will just sort of not bother with from the player's handbook that this does do. Yeah. And I and like it shouldn't be a surprise to say encumbrance is a thing. The amount of shit you're carrying will have impacts. And if you've got a ranged weapon, it needs ammo. Yeah. But these are things that a lot of DMs will sort of like smooth over for simplicity's sake. Do ranged weapons need ammo? Because I've been rocking a crossbow for the whole. I've I've game. not been rocking a crossbow. Maybe I'm wrong. I I th- I thought I saw someone say that they needed ammo for Encumbrance crossbows. Encumbrance is definitely a thing, but I've not had to buy arrows or bolts. But it's like it's like the difference between a game run by Isaac Asimov versus Robert Heinlein. Though, yeah. is, is what well, I'm I'm getting. Yeah. Well, in that case, yeah. See me, see me corrected. That that is a thing that the rule book would suggest you need to be going and buying ammunition constantly. But much like many DMs, the video game side here apparently doesn't sort of need yeah. from you. Which um, is, I mean, your overall point though is is absolutely correct. Like because because it's not a human DM, they have to be a bit more rigid. Like there are situations I've been in in Baldur's Gate three where I'm like, if I were playing the tabletop. I could probably, like, argue with the DM a bit to be like, I could use acrobatics for this, you know? Uh, stuff like that. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's one of those things, like, like not everything is, is one-to-one as, uh, like, rules as written in book, but the things that are, there's no flexibility to go, I don't enjoy... Say, and, and Encumbrance I use as an example, because I've not played a huge amount of this yet, but what I have played Encumbrance was the really obvious example. Yeah. They've still done video gamey things to make Encumbrance less of a bother than it would be in a game with a DM where the DM was being a stickler about it. Because there seems to be the ability to just go, I've got too much shit in my pockets, I'll send it back to town and like get it in, in a bit. Yes, you can send anything to your camp, yeah. Yeah, so you're not stuck with the I'm over-encumbered and I would have to get back to town to fix that problem. So there are little concessions made. It's not as hard ass as some DMs could be, mm-hmm. but if there's aspects of D&D that like, aren't the way you play the game, they're going to be rigidly there. Yeah, they've done everything a game can do, I think, to replicate the idea of, of playing a, a video game that yeah. feels like a, a DM-run tabletop experience. Uh, right down to the narrator, which is just, it's just, yes. it's a little thing, but oh. it's just a lovely touch to have a narrator acting as a DM. If you haven't seen it, there's a great video online of the person who voices the DM, uh, the DM uh, narrator, doing uh, a bunch of their outtakes from the recording sessions that are very fun. Yeah, I've not seen that. I'll, I'll there there are some very out. silly, uh, very silly outtakes floating around. On top of that, like the game, just as an RPG is so packed. I've just about wrapped up the first area. I've put well over 20 hours into it. But I've just about done all I think I can do in Act 1. And I've just been consistently surprised. And I know that there's stuff in that map I've not found. Like, I found a little hole yesterday that was proper hidden. in Like, it was hidden in plain sight, but it was proper hidden. And I went down there expecting, oh, maybe there's a bit of loot. Like, it's just some nobody cave there's nothing going down here and all i'll say is what i said on twitter yesterday the Baldur's gate 3 experience is going into the corner of a cave not expecting much and leaving that corner as the new god of a tribe of fish people 
Like, <laughs> the things that you can just stumble into, like that certain scene in a barn in the uh, early village that's been sacked by goblins, when you walk in on something compromising, uh, which really set the tone for what that game's going to be. Mm. The characters are fantastic. Like, the party members, so good. I'm a big fan already of... Um... The sort of vampiric guy you might meet right near the start. What's his name? Daddy. Sorry, um, Astarian. <laughs> Astarian. Astarian's first interaction's really fun, and I think is a really good example of, like, failure not being an endpoint and leading to different ways out of a situation, and, like, feeling like you had multiple stages of branching in a situation, even if you flubbed your first, your first yeah. bit of, of role. And it reminded me in some ways of something like Disco Elysium, in terms of... I didn't feel the need to, like, go back and reset my save any time a botch happened early in an interaction. It really feels like it's like, no, we're going we're gonna to factor in that that might happen and keep this thing going. It'll just go a slightly different way. Yeah. And you, you'll see new things because of it. A lot of that is true of dialogue and stuff. Uh, yeah. Combat and exploration there have been... I've done a lot of saves coming. For certain things, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Unless it's like a highly dramatic, narratively relevant fight, I don't think it particularly interesting to have a total party wipe or anything. No. You know, random but, random goblins, yeah, I'm gonna save scum. But um when it comes to dialogue and and things like that, yeah, just rolling with it, whether you fail or succeed and seeing what happens. Like I Yeah. I stood and watched while one party member interacted with another in a way that has had an irrevocable, massive effect on the party. And all I can say is I, I'm just impressed. Like, the game is not afraid to just upend things and be like, here's a completely, like, here's just a new big thing that will be part of your game now forever. Yeah, I, I am so blown away. And the, like I said, the characters are so good. Astarian is... is uh, Gale, I love the wizard. Mm. He cracks jokes and stuff, but it's not like he's got any like great zingers or, or amazing lines. It's all in the performance. I know all the characters have been motion captured as well, which is pretty amazing for a game like this, where mm. you play something like like a Bioware game and there's massive scenes of dialogue and there's nothing visually interesting to look at because they're just talking heads with like robotic stock animations. Whereas here, I like watching Gale talk, and this will sound weird because he moves kindly. He just, <laughs> the way his head sort of stays still while his body moves. I inherently trust people who move the way Gale moves. There's just something so friendly about it. And the tone in which he speaks is like lighthearted, but not mocking or or even mega humorous it's just light and i find him immensely likable immensely i found the barbarian character carla like she comes later and god i love her mechanically and and characteristically she's just fun and unlike shadowheart she actually hits things which is just a delight <laughs> but yeah brilliant um, the character writing is fantastic. The uh, and not just for the the main cast. Every yeah. NPC is voiced. Every NPC moves 
about as close to a human as, as a game gets, you know? Yeah. They move like people. I will note, and I like, it's it's one of these kind of games where I'm like, I feel like I'm nitpicking to point out things they could have done beyond what they did. Yeah. It threw me initially that your main character does not generally do voice lines in most conversations. And that threw me a bit given that I'd spent time picking a character voice in the character selection. Yeah. I was sort of expecting to be like Bioware style, both parties having the conversation back and forth. Not a huge deal. It is something that like, eh, it's so-so. That aside, like the closest I can think of to like a criticism of what I've played so far is maybe that there's a couple of points where it's a little overly transparent that this is a party member. If you do a thing, you'll get this party member. Like it's it's a little unsubtle with like I'm thinking specifically of the the opening sequence on the uh on the crashing ship and there is a person in a pod. Hmm, I wonder if I if I find a thing to to interact with this thing, will I get to let them out and they'll probably be a party member. At most a little heavy-handed to make sure you don't miss potential content sometimes. But if that's the closest I can make to a complaint about this, like, th- this game is... I see why people are as impressed as they are yeah. with it. I'd say the biggest complaint I have, and this is predominantly as someone playing on Steam Deck and therefore with a controller, confirming that I really want to end someone's turn in combat. I've accidentally pressed Y a fair few times and it's just ended their turn. I've had this problem entirely, and the like, and I've had that where I've pressed Y on a turn where I didn't do an action or a bonus action or move, and the game doesn't give me any ability to go. That was a mispress. I did nothing on my turn. Can we go back? Yeah, like that would be appreciated. Yeah, the turn after mine was another of my players. It's not like it, we're going to have to roll back any like things the monster did. C- can I just like un? Can I just confirm or undo that press or something? Yeah. Yeah, anything other than that is is just little bits. Like, the radial menus on the controls. They constantly re-customise themselves. When you have stuff, when you pick up, like, scrolls or get new abilities that there's no space for on the current radial, at the very least, add the new radial at the end, not at the beginning, so that when I bring up the radial menus, the first thing I see is a completely empty radial menu except for one scroll. Yeah. And and just trying to delete radials is tough, because sometimes you can just delete them outright. Sometimes you've got to clear off everything, like clear mm. every slot before it'll let you. You can't, as far as I can see, and I've tried fiddling with it, but so far I've not found a way to reorder the radial menus themselves. And when I add one manually, it sticks it either at the very beginning or in the middle of two, and never at the end where I want it. So that's an issue. Inventory management is a bit fiddly. Picking things up with a controller is a hassle at times, especially like little things like little coins and stuff. But these are little fiddly like complaints. But all of that kind of kind of falls away though. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I like the additions they've made on top of rules as written 5e. Like it sometimes it's just really little things, like having specific dialogue prompts that show up because of your species or background and having them labeled. Or the way that this game handles things like, hey, there's a there's a skill check here. You can press a little button to see what your modifiers are, but you don't know what the bar is you have to clear until you commit to doing the action and then it'll show you the number. But it's like no, you you said you were going to do it. You got to commit to rolling now. Now you yeah. know what you got to clear. I think those are just like really smart little ways to adapt 
the essence of what D&D is trying to do into a video game. Yes, absolutely. And I really do like some of the class specific stuff. Like there's a scene where Gail is like, was teaching my character about like magic and teaching mm. me just a little sort of um, hand gesture to perform just a very simple sort of magic thing. And because I'm playing a bard, like I had the option to do that, but show off. <laughs> like do what Gail's yeah. doing, but add this like dramatic flourish at the end. And, and it's got no consequence like mechanically. It's pure flavor. Yeah. But that's what makes this game like work so well because it's not just a, a it's not just a faithful D and D game. It's not just yeah. a good like content packed RPG that's fun. It is so fluffy. There is so much in this game that that mechanically means nothing except for the mechanic of you having fucking fun, which for many games, is the most important thing. It's the thing that gets you connected to your character in D&D mm-hmm. &D outside of mechanically what they're doing, and it's what is winning me over, like, even in my first few hours of this, is really starting to already win me over. Yeah, I've had to force myself to, to do other things. I have it as my travel game for evenings alone in hotels coming up. Beautiful. That is such a perfect choice. And as far as running on the Steam Deck, I have an unmodified one. Like, default, running with the default graphics options that, that it runs with on Steam Deck, which is everything yeah. on medium. I've kept it to medium except a few things I whacked up to high because I wanted character animations up on mm. high. I think I've added, like, texture textures on high. Just a few little things. And it's running just fine so far. It runs surprisingly acceptably. Yeah, the deal I'm getting out of the compromise, which is playing it on the Steam Deck, which is what I want to do, versus the trade-off, which is it doesn't look as gorgeous or run as smoothly. It's a trade-off I'm very happy with. I'm fine with what yeah. I got out of that trade. I'm not feeling about this the way I felt when I picked up ca uh, Cassette Beasts on Switch and then was like, I really wish I'd pick this up on something stronger. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah nowhere near as bad as Cassette Beasts. To the yeah. point where it's not bad. I mean, if, you, yeah. if you're if you used to how things run on a Steam Deck, like, this is perfectly serviceable. Like, it runs better than other comparable modern Steam Deck releases. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Conrad, what you what you been playing this week? One thing I played this week was uh, 30XDX. This is, uh, this is a sequel to 20XDX came out some years back, which was a roguelite Mega Man type game. The side-scrolling yep. platformer shoot 'em up. Yeah. I, I remember playing that when it first came out. Yep. And I liked that. I felt that it needed a lot of polish still, even in its final release. Like there were things yep. about it that didn't just feel right. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to say that for the most part, 30XDX delivers a much more polished, complete experience, just overall. Visually, it looks like a Mega Man X game, or maybe a Zero game, somewhere in that mid-range. The animations and the character designs are really, really good. Uh, it plays... It plays a lot like 20XDX, but with some added features, and, and it feels tighter, and it just, on the whole, feels 
overall more more cohesive. And the way it's structured is you'll start a run and it'll put you randomly into one of the robot master stages that it has. And you'll run through that. And at the end of, of that stage, and each stage has a mid-boss and then the final boss, you get to the end of that and then you get the boss's weapon. You know, this the standard sort of thing. And you're presented with the next stage to go to. And that gets expanded to where you can choose between a couple stages. And later you can prevent one stage of your choice from being introduced too early. So there's some flexibility there that I like. But then, you know, as you get far enough in, you'll get the option instead of getting that boss's weapon, you'll get a choice of that or an upgrade to an existing weapon that you've already collected. So the order can matter in some significant ways, particularly if there are weapons that you just don't use or don't have interest in using. I haven't played much or at all with the Mega Man type character, the more range-focused one. Mm. Because if you give me a choice between that or a zero, I'm playing a zero. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, that's not a, a, a choice. The zero type character with their saber functions very, very similarly to how they do in Mega Man games. Like, you get the boss weapons and they are, just moves that you can do as opposed to having to switch weapons or, or do any of that nonsense. Uh, I'm I'm honestly not sure how the Mega Man character works in this because I have spent no time outside of the tutorial with it. But um, the way in which you can utilize and, and chain together the Zero character's moves are, it's very satisfying. I like how all of that works. I like the options and, and the approach to building it. I have successfully cleared the base run once. It has one of those, okay, but you've got to, if you want the true ending, you've got to do these certain steps and RNG kind of has to be on your side to accomplish this goals, which I'm fine with. I don't mind that you don't necessarily get the chance to do that every run. Um, it's nice when you can engineer it so that that's the case. And maybe I'm not seeing some aspect of it because I haven't bothered to look anything up yet. But it's cool. The boss designs are good. The boss fights are good. Uh, the difficulty progression is such that the stages themselves don't change, but that the enemies in them do get stronger. And as they get stronger, they introduce variants with different uh, types of attack that are, are interesting and mixes things up. The power-ups that you'll collect through the course of runs do a good job of, of empowering you and sometimes offering uh, some additional challenge as well in terms of, you know, buff and debuff combos. You'll find every stage has a few little side objective things that you can do either uh, a gauntlet where you'll have to run a stage with a bunch of enemies in it and then at the end fight a mini boss to get a reward. There's uh, traversal challenges, get to X point, and these all have, you know, don't take damage awards for them that allow you to select from multiple rewards when you get to the end. And and it all just sort of works together. It, it, it flows very well. It's a good challenge, but it's not as hard as 
a lot of the games in this genre tend to be. For me, Mega Man Zero, I think, is as is the absolute limit of difficulty for this type of game and being enjoyable. You go any harder than that, and you're going to be miserable. This is way easier than that. It, it The first, second boss that you encounter, if you have any experience with this type of game, you will not struggle, um, which is nice, because a lot of times you come into a fresh one of these, and that that first boss wrecks you, and it can be pretty demoralizing. So, yeah, I think it's well-balanced. I think it plays very well. I think the music's good. The visuals are good. This, if if you were not quite feeling 20XDX, I think you will get what you want out of 30XDX. It, it is, uh, mm. it's very good. I had a look at the, uh, some screenshots while you were talking. That looks so much nicer Doesn't than the it? original. Right. right. It looks so much less like a 2000s Flash Flash game. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's it's much 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 more refined. Um it, it it feels like a final product in a way that the other one just just didn't. And that I yeah. and I enjoyed the hell out of 20XDX. I I played a lot of it while recognizing the whole time that I was like this really could and should be better than it is. And I'm glad that they got the opportunity to do this one and that they have succeeded uh, so, so much in their attempt to make a roguelite that is a Mega Man game at the same, at the same time. They, they've really accomplished that here. Um, great, great job. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, I played a thing this week that I want to talk about a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, it's gonna, it's it's a narrative heavy thing, so I won't dig too deeply into it. But I did a playthrough of Stray Gods this week. Oh yes, yes, I saw you streamed seven hours, so it must have been good. Yeah. So I, <laughs> fun fun fact, um, I. I pulled up, I think it was IGN's review, just going, I want to know how long it is so I know if it's like a one stream or two stream sitting game. And they, I, I, whichever review I, I, I skimmed over, said it's about three hours for a playthrough. And I was like, yeah, sure, cool. Um, that came and went. I was like, we got to be near the end. Five hours, uh, so four hours, someone was like, oh, it's only about another hour and you'll be done. Seven hours it took to finish. But... At no point in that did I want to put the game down and go to sleep because I was like, this game's, I'm fucking enjoying it, problems and all. Um, So this is a, like, it's one of those narrative choice-based adventure games where, like, there's minimal in the way of gameplay outside of make a choice and see how your your narrative branches. Uh, The basic idea of the plot is you play as this woman called Grace and... uh, She's not really sure what she wants to be doing with her life. She's singer in a band, and the band's looking to, you know, add new members just because everything's feeling a bit samey. And this woman comes by and sings a duet with you, and it's an absolutely magical, wonderful moment. And then later that night, she turns up dead at your doorstep with a stab wound in her. Turns out she's the last of the muses of the Greek gods, and upon her death, her powers have passed to you. You are now amused to the to the Greek gods who are living in a modern day setting, slightly adapted to the modern world in which they live. And they've basically gone, why is there a god dead in your house? You literally have her blood on your hands and her powers. Did you somehow find a way to kill a god to steal their powers? 
long story short, you're given a week to prove your innocence. Using your new godly powers, which basically constitute the ability to compel people into musical numbers and use music to try and get them to reveal what information they are currently hiding to sort of help you along your uh, your your quest to prove your innocence. I kind of love that as someone who like really truly shamefully enjoys a good like musical. I love that people breaking out into song for seemingly no reason and to have a narrative justification for that is always super satisfying. It's really, really fun. And I, I like the fact that, like, the people who are compelled by this power are not aware, unaware of the fact it's happening to them. And if, like, let's say it's one of the other one of the other gods, sure, they'll see, like, the lights dimming and props starting to come out of nowhere around you and themselves start singing and go, cool, I guess we're along for the ride. Just a regular fucking human gets involved and they're like, oh god, what? how How do I know this choreography? What's happening? But in a very pleasant sing-songy way. I really enjoy this game, but it does have a couple of problems I want to like get out of the way early on. The game has audio description for blind players, and I'm so glad that they are there. It is really good that we're seeing more games implement these. The audio descriptions are really not correctly implemented, and it's a real fucking shame that I have to put this caveat out there. Sometimes the wrong audio description entirely for a different narrative choice branch will play and describe a thing that is not happening. Occasionally, the audio description will start halfway through a line of other dialogue, like cutting a word midway through in voiceover to start doing the audio description. It's a little wonky. Game's a little prone to crashing. I had like three crashes on Switch. Thankfully, it has pretty good autosaves. The only other thing I want to get out of the way about it is there is a choice at the start of that game that is not very clear that it is a permanent choice, at least to me. I thought it was a tutorial example of something. So early on in the game, you are presented the ability to respond to a situation with a charming, kick-ass, or... Uh, smart, I forget what the exact words for them are, uh, like personality-traited uh, response. And I thought, they're showing me what these traits are so that I understand them when they come up later. Nope, I was selecting a personality trait that was going to be my version of the main character's primary personality trait. And it's not hugely impactful. Uh, in songs, you can pick whatever dialogue options you want to sort of shift the direction of the song. But outside of songs, when you're just having regular conversations, there will sometimes be a dialogue option or an interact option that you can only do if you selected at the start of the game the associated trait. It's not necessarily a problem, I just wish it was better signposted, and I think if you're going to pick it up and play, know that going in. But generally I really like it. There's a lot of games in which I don't enjoy the you only have a limited amount of time to make your narrative choice. And you can turn that off here if you, if, if you struggle with it. You can pause the game during those moments. But I like how this game utilises having to make a quick, a split-second choice. Because when you're doing the musical numbers, which are the big places where you can really sort of swing the plot by how you, you know, in, engage in those songs, you are trying to respond to a dialogue choice and pick where the song's going before the song reaches the end of its current bar and it's time for the song to continue. And that is a context in which, oh god, I have to quickly decide what I'm going to start improving. 
adds a lot to the way that those musical numbers feel. I also really like that depending on emotionally how you change like the dialogue during songs, it will shift the genre of the music or the tone and tempo to sort of fit the shifting direction of the conversation. It's really neat. Also, this game has really wonderful characters. Every single one of the Greek gods is very hot and fuckable in a very different way. Like, I've never felt as bisexual as I have with this game. Every character's very fuckable. Lots of good characters, I mean, I think this is... Sorry, I, I've been listening <laughs> yeah. intently, but I just... Obviously, I'm in now. Yeah, yeah, you should be. Look, <sighs> there. I, I, I'm going to tell you about two characters to give you a sense of, like, the spectrum here, which is um, Persephone, who is purely played as... Um, completely not hiding the fact that she wants to dom the main character and that, like, if you try and push back, she will treat you like a bratty sub while she stood there in a suit being way taller than you. Or you've got Pan. The only way I can describe Pan's energy in this is the worst mistake that I'm desperate to make. (laughs) I absolutely know that he is just covered head to fucking toe in red flags, but, like, I don't want to say no to him, though. He's just... Oh, what if I can fix him? Yeah, they're, they're, they're reimaginings of the Greek gods in a modern setting are really fun. My only other thing I'll say about this game is that uh, there are content warnings available for this game, uh, either on the, the developer's website or you can look them up in the game. The content warnings are insufficient. And I don't say that, like, to scare people off, but and I, I want to work out how to talk about this in the right kind of terms. Um, for me, the gold standard of properly implemented content warnings it has always been either Ickenfell, which is a great game that did, uh, like, if you turn on content warnings, would give you a warning right before the moment something was going to come up and give you options like, do you want to know more, do you want to skip past it, etc. Or Tell Me Why, uh, which was a really good game in terms of being, like, very detailed, specific content warnings. So if you're like, I... Depending on the context, this might be okay or not for me. I need to know specifics. It just, like, fully was willing to spoil you if you needed that. This game has one content warning I will mention that is, uh, it it says something to the effect of the game contains scenes that might contain similarities to topics such as suicide. That does not do justice to what that scene is talking about. Without getting into specifics of it, I absolutely fucking love the scene it is talking about. I think it is really interesting ground for discussion and like the situation it posits is genuinely... I struggled to know how I felt about it, but that was clearly by intent. The characters in the scene also didn't know how to feel about the situation. But like, it certainly wasn't just suicide. That's all you need to know. It was a really complicated situation that overlapped with a lot of other potential topics, depending on how you interpreted what was happening. I wish this game's content warnings were a bit more direct. Like, if there was an option to go, cool, you've given me the vague warning, can I can I click to read more to get some specifics? Because, like, this game does some really interesting stuff with, like, very messy, there's no good... There's no good answer to this, there's no right way to interpret this kind of situations, and I really appreciate that but its content warnings kind of gloss over some of the nuance that is going to come up in some places. But when all is said and done, 
I played through that game in a single sitting. It was like 4 5 a.m. by the time I got to bed. I didn't want to put that game down. I was having too good of a time with it. It's got its problems, but it's very fun, and I really think it's worth checking out. I'd seen it in stores, but kind of glossed over it. You got me sold on, on wanting to check that out, like, properly. It's got some really fun characterization, and I think that you would enjoy the characters enough for it to be worth a shake. But yeah, anyone else played anything else this week they want to talk about? I ain't got a great deal to say about it at the moment, but I'm playing a game called Atlas Fallen, which is a Focus Home Interactive published game, so of course I checked it out. God, it's hard to uh, not want to <laughs> skip through in-game dialogue after Baldur's Gate 3. It's just hard. Plus, I can't even put a finger on why. They're not that offensive, but I hate the voice acting in this game. It's fine, but there's something so simpering about the fucking cuff that you're talking to. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah, you're talking to a fucking cuff. It's just a big action game with very light RPG elements in a kind of barren, boring desert that's sort of got hack and slashy combat. It's fine. The combat feels a little off, and it's one of them ones where you've got like loads of enemies, and they're attacking from off-screen, and you've got like little tiny off-screen indicators to know when to block or dodge, but you're trying to keep a track of those while also trying to hit them, and focus on the ones you can see. Um, and it's, it's just got a certain combat flow to it that I'm not fond of. I was sort of looking forward to it because it was focus, and because... The trailers sort of talked a lot about like the huge weapon variety and stuff. And it's very early days, so I'm hoping it'll open up. But so far, I've not been mega impressed with Atlas Fallen. Um, and that said, with the caveat that it's just difficult to jump between Baldur's Gate 3 and that. Just had the unfortunate <laughs> position of being the act that's following. Or, well, being played at the same time as Baldur's Gate 3, and it really is suffering. And it's not, some of that isn't fair on the game, but the game itself so far has just been, there's nothing really exciting about it. The controls are fine, the action is fine, um, the environment is dull, like it's just so lifeless. Um, I'm going to keep playing it, because I always like to give a focus game a fair shake, because they're the ones that, that bring the interesting jank. But this does not have the sort of spark of curiousness, curiosity that uh, a lot of the games they publish have. Um, there we are. I'll, I'll, it's very early days, but I'm not mega impressed. And that, that's all I've got to say on that. Hmm. What about you, comrade? You got anything else? I do have a couple other things, but I think I'll hang on to one of them for next week because I'm going to need more time with it to finish fully forming thoughts. But uh, I did play a bit of that Vampire Survivors co-op. Yeah. You very helpfully got me a, a little early access to that and played that Monday on the stream. And yeah, that works. It sure is the Vampire Survivors experience balanced for other player counts. It sure is. Um, yeah, I I like it. Out of curiosity, I'm assuming you tried this on like a save in which you've already unlocked oh, yeah. basically yeah. everything. Yeah, well, I mean, everything up to a point, because I I had more or less stopped playing Vampire Survivors around the time of the first DLC release. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of content in there I just have not gotten around to seeing, and I've forgotten how a lot of it works, frankly, Mm. which is a little startling. 
But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm blaming it on drugs. Uh, but yeah, no, it, 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 I do like it. It, it worked to, to be pretty much precisely the experience. I mean, getting your evolved weapons is a lot more challenging. But, uh, other than oh, that... That's, that's, that's the thing, is because, like, you yeah, know, in presumably two-player you were playing in, yeah. you're only getting 50% of the level ups, which means that there is a longer period of, of the, the game before uh, the first evolution happens, even if you're both probably going to get your first evolution basically back-to-back. Right. Um... Yeah, there's there's definitely, like, there are some ways in which it's a little more challenging. One thing I didn't know about last week, and I know now, because, like, me and Jane were playing through a bunch of this in co-op, uh, starting from a basically completely fresh save, mm-hmm. meaning that we didn't know uh, until we got far enough in to unlock skip level up, that that is what un- seems to unlock in co-op, uh, being able to pass your level up to the oh, other player. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so I hadn't seen that mechanic, and it was a thing me and Jane had talked about, was going like, I've picked up this, uh, my level up, I've been offered these three things, oh, Jane was really looking for that weapon, Jane really wanted to use that for the build, unlocking eventually the ability, the ability to go, I'll just pass my level up to, to the other player, great. Yeah. Uh, and I, I appreciate that if you do that, the player who passed away their their level up gets to have the next level up, even if they wouldn't have been in turn. It's like, yeah, no, have have the level up that you gave away up next there's a lot of nice little design choices it's it's vampire survivors but two of you yeah yeah and and that was that was fun you know it was linda had never played before so playing it with her was a like a totally new experience and it was kind of neat to see like after you know like five ten minutes and we're starting to you know collect stuff at a somewhat steady clip you know seeing it click and be like, oh, okay, I yeah. get why people like this. Um, yeah. Yeah. The co-op's been, like, really nice in that, like, me and Jane play a lot of Vampire Survivors. Like, we, we're we at the point where, like, if Vampire Survivors releases on a new platform, we'll buy it on a new platform and play it again from the start just to have an excuse to go through that leveling curve. Like, we're real into it. But it's always been a game that, like, we'll both be sat in a room separately playing right. Vampire Survivors. It's been really nice to play it together rather than playing it while together yeah yeah that game continues to get like cool little stuff added to it Yep, good game do like yeah uh well if that's us done on all the stuff we want to talk about for this week there's a couple of news bits we can probably skim through nice and quick Mm -hmm. uh and then we can wrap up do you remember when embracer group cancelled a bunch of projects because reportedly they had a two billion dollar investment that fell through yes Yeah. yeah you remember all this um so a report from Axios has um, given a little bit of insight into what maybe happened there, and I don't think any of you, I don't think either of you are going to be surprised by this. It seems like it was Saudi Arabia that wanted to put $2 billion into Embracer Group, which doesn't surprise me. You hear that kind of money thrown around in the games industry right now. That's, yeah. It's usually There's only a few suspects that, yeah. that it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, Savvy Games Group, which is the gaming-focused arm of the Saudi Investment Fund. At the very last minute, like as they were supposed to be signing the paperwork, it seems like the wording from Axios is Embracer received a negative outcome from the counterparty. There is some some questions as to what went on there, but yeah, they were going to take two billion from from the Saudi Investment Fund, and then that fell through. So. 
it is what it is there. We've got a couple of other stories. Uh, the Pokemon Company has uh, had to apologize and issue a $200,000 donation after announcing where the next Pokemon World Tournament, uh, World Championships were going to be held. Yeah? Yeah, they were going to hold them in Hawaii. Ooh. Uh, a country that, uh, sorry. Well, hey, you know, it was, and then we came along. Well, yes. Uh, a a place that right now is really, really, really fucking begging tourists to stop coming. Yeah. And to leave leave the place alone and to not make it a tourist hotspot and to just stay the fuck away. The Pokemon company were like, yeah, our next big international world championships are going to be in Hawaii. Everyone come to Hawaii to compete. Yeah, it's going to be held in Honolulu. Basically, there was a lot of pushback. The Pokemon company has gone, we're very sorry, we'll donate $200,000 to help with the wildfires that have, like, literally this last week absolutely uh, devastated areas around there. It sure was a choice. It sure was a choice to host there, and a lot of people are going, cool, thanks for donating to the, the Wildfire Recovery Fund, we still don't want you coming here. So we'll see if anything comes of that, but like, hey... Maybe don't go this year if you want to support the wishes of the people living there. And the last one we got this week is uh, Xbox has a new uh, system for improving safety on Xbox for for doing sort of strikes, and then when enough strikes happen, you'll you'll get in trouble on Xbox. Now, if you don't know this story, how many strikes do you think you would need on Xbox? For, like, how many how many times would you need to get marked as like having done bad behavior? to uh to 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 get in trouble and like the big the big punishment here is a year a one year suspension from xbox features how many how many chances do you think you get getting in trouble before you get a year's suspension i don't know one two five a million i mean typically you'd expect baseball rules to apply because for whatever reason mm. uh we we like Base people, baseball sucks and it's boring. I don't understand how it is the three strikes rule wound up being so pervasive. Um, maybe it's because asshole Americans who like stats like baseball, and that's how that happened. Maybe uh, that, you know, uh, I don't know. So it's it's more than three. Um, you need eight strikes oh. to get a, a one year ban. And a few people have been pointing out that does seem... That seems like a lot of strikes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but when you think it's... about how casually people will drop N-bombs and, you know, other sort of just, like, yeah. bad behavior, yeah, you need to get to give a little buffer yeah. room. I mean, it's so easy and to have a heated gamer moment. It's not necessarily eight individual instances. They have given some examples, and some things will get you more than one Oh, point. there's a point scale. Oh, good. I love when we have a clear, transparent system for when something violates company policy and thereby might be uh, suppressed or removed as a result. Well, it's great, because it allows us to rank how many of one type of action uh, is, is as bad as how many of another type of action. Uh-huh. You can start doing those kind of maths. Yeah. So cheating is only one strike. Right. You got you got to cheat eight times in games to get a one year ban. Two points. Sexually inappropriate behavior. That's twice as bad as cheating. 
Harassment or bullying, that's two points. Again, twice as bad as cheating. Hate speech is three points. Hate speech is three cheatings. There's... There's so... They're so... (laughs) Flexible, these boundaries. Right! (laughs) Right! The Venn diagram of these boundaries is... Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's just weird looking at it on paper. And, like, I can't help but look at these numbers and go, cool, so I can do two hate speeches and two <laughs> cheatings before I get a one-year ban. Or I could get... Ri- I, I, could do, I could do three harassment and bullying and two cheating. Cheating's equal to profanity, so I could do, like... Two harassment and bullying, one sexual sexual inappropriate, one cheating, and one profanity. And you know, if I'm if I'm being fair, they have ranked these appropriately in terms of things that matter. I mean, they put them in the correct order. Yes, <laughs> you know, some of them I'd put I'd put closer to eight points. Some of them maybe, but these points. Here's the other thing about these points: these points go away after six months. Is it, you know, the infraction falls off six months after it's been gone, or there's just a six-month term and then it's wiped clean? It seems like each individual strike individually falls off when it has been six there for six months. Mm-hmm. So, like, once you pass over... Let, let's say you did, you know, uh, you, you did sexually inappropriate behavior in January, and then in February did all the rest of your stuff... Uh, you know, once once your six months of January's popped up, you've gotten two points back. You can do put two points worth of <laughs> worth of crime again. You do a couple of cheats. Yeah, cheating's maybe the weirdest one to see on here. Like having them point out exactly how many times you can cheat before you will like properly get in trouble. I don't know. I feel like some of these values should be higher for some of these. They're trying. They they sure are. They, <laughs> they sure are trying. They maybe shouldn't, but they uh, are trying. Get some other people to try, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. That's 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 everything. We did it. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Well, something, something, cheating, something, strikes, something. Oh, that's one. You, we've just heard about strikes, but you know who isn't on strike right now? It's Laura because she's so busy with work. There we go. <laughs> Uh, Laura, can you tell people about what that work is? Please? I think you can find all the stuff I do at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere on the internet. Uh, you can find uh, access ability over on YouTube every Friday. Uh, last week's episode was about uh, accessibility improvements that a Switch successor really needs to have in order to keep pace with what Microsoft and PlayStation are currently doing. Uh, this week's episode will be about some of the stuff going on with Vampire Survivors' co-op mode and uh, some of the stuff going on there. Um, other than that, if you have to happen to be at Gamescom, I'll be around waving my general direction if you see me. Uh, Laura K. Buzz, you'll find all my stuff everywhere. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you could find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch, where I play video games and hang out at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Uh, I also produce a show called Red Planet. It's a leftist roundtable discussion show that airs on Twitch on Sundays and is also available on YouTube and in podcast form. And you can check all of that out at redplanetshow.com. And there's a sale 
over at mercenarycreative.com. We are clearancing out some Jimquisition designs and some other stuff to make room for more new stuff. We have new stuff. If you like tote bags, you can get a tote bag. There's a very cute shirt of a cat knocking over a glass of water that says ungovernable. It's adorable. You can get that there, too. That's all at mercenarycreative.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. All right. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, that's where you can support uh, the Jimquisition show and this and all of that stuff. Um, where And, you know, obviously also support my lifestyle of boggling buying. Not my pinball tables. Uh, I also stream uh, as and when I have the ability to. That's Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. My next upcoming uh, bookings are I got a, um, a fairly late booking sort of in terms of notice. So this weekend I will be in Preston um, at the flag market uh, in the town centre. Uh, I did this show last year as well. It's free to watch. Uh, you can just turn up. And we're like literally in the centre of the market. Uh, I'll be defending the PCW women's title against Helen Campbell, um, which has to be one of the few, if not the first time, a, a women's title in the UK has been uh, contested between two trans girls. So that's pretty cool. Um, like I say, if you can, if you're in or around Preston Flag Market uh, on Saturday afternoon, swing by. Um, then next weekend, August 26th in Leeds, uh, it's the big one. Uh, I will be facing Kid Bandit. Um, I think my promo will be up live by then so I can say it's no DQ. Um, but I've just said it, uh, which means it's going to be fucking violent. Uh, Kid Bandit versus Commander Sterling Leeds, August 26th. That one is going to be fucking massive. Um, basically the two biggest NB wrestlers uh, in the business facing off. Uh, that's that. Thank you for listening and sharing and all of your support. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.